So, uh, well, I'm Eric Robichaud from Green Goddess Supply. Um, I had spent, um, actually, I started very early in my childhood and then all through through my career. And I'm in my 50s now. So my through, all through my 20s, 30s, 40s, um, I was a tech geek, uh, you know, a soft, hardcore software engineer, systems engineer. Um, and um, and I my personal um, journey with cannabis, so to speak, didn't really start until um, I was well into my 30s. Um, I had grown up in the, uh, you know, through the, the, the 70s and then mostly through the 80s, but the late 70s and 80s and the whole, you know, war on drugs and, you know, Nixon's original uh, war on drugs. And then, you know, Reagan came in in 1980 and doubled down on all that and um, just say no and everything, right? It kills brain cells and all the stuff that we now know is disinformation and BS, but... but I'll... I'll- I'll always remember the the commercial with the egg in the frying pan forever. Bring oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on drugs, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, uh, and the big the big pervasive lie back then was you know you smoke weed it kills brain cells and you know you're gonna you're gonna be uh, you know deformed you know reefer madness and all that right. Um, and so I was I was not ever anti pot. Um, but I was just like, I'm, I'm good. You know, I mean, just grew up with them. Like, all right, whatever, you know, knock yourself out. Good. You know, but I'm all set. You know? um, and then my personal journey was um, um, in my mid to later thirties. Um, I really developed um, like terrible insomnia. Like it, it became, it became such a problem that I went to the doctor about it and he gave me try. We tried two different um, prescription, you know, pharmaceuticals for it. Um, and um uh, and they both had, they were different, but they both had just almost debilitating side effects. You know, like, like one was like, your head just feels like a helium balloon detached and in a fog. And like, I couldn't drive, you know, you can't operate heavy equipment. It was like, I'm going to, and it just wouldn't go away. It wasn't like the first couple hours or the first day. It's like, it was just persistent. It wouldn't, uh, and I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. You know, I can't do this. So, 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 so the effect didn't wear off once you woke up in the mornings. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm like all day. Well, it was just like this, you know, it was dangerous, you know, like I couldn't drive. I was like, oh, well, this is, I don't feel safe driving or anything. Yeah. You know, it was the, the, the side effects um, were terrible. And um, there's all kinds of side effects with people like, uh, you know, sleepwalking and all, 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 all kinds of stuff. But for me, it was the whole thing, it was like this brain fog and like feeling disconnected. I couldn't focus. I couldn't work. I couldn't get anything done. I was like, it, would, it was awful. And I was like, I can't do this. So, the, so I went back to the doc um, after like a week or two. And I'm like, hey, it's just not working. I can't do this. So we tried a different one and then kind of different effects and stuff, but the same general gist of it. And so I just kind of gave up and resigned myself to, you know, I got insomnia and it sucks and it is what it is. But like, you know, you read the statistics and how like 60 percent of most Americans don't get good, you know, restful sleep and blah, blah, blah. And it's pervasive and also like, all right, well, it is what it is. Right. And then we had a party at my house. Uh, like a Fourth of July party or whatever, and and in later in the evening, um, as you know, most people were gone. Last few stragglers hanging around, just just kind of starting to filter out. Um, one of my buddies sparks up a joint, passes it around, and when it gets to me, I'm like, Nah, nah, I'm all good. And he looked at me, and he was like, Well, that shit will knock you out. <laughs> he had uh, it was uh, the Gorilla Glue, right? Mm. Uh, heavy indica couch block, yeah. you know. <clears throat> and now this is me, never smoked before, so I have like this much tolerance. Right. <laughs> um, so, and I was like, really? All right. What the hell? Pass that back. And you know, this is one of those things that's late at night after a party all day and the barbecue, the cookout, and I've even drinking beers all day or whatever. So, so it's like, you know, several beers and shots or whatever and all the stuff. And so by like 11, 12 o'clock at night, you know, I'm like, right, this sounds like a good idea. Ah, sure. What the hell? Give it to me. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I just remember 
waking up, I was sitting on this little love bench, like little couch type thing. Um, uh, we had like an in-ground pool or whatever. And I was just sitting there and I remember just kind of like, like waking up and, and, and seeing my wife there just kind of shaking me. And I was like, not literally, but figuratively, you can just imagine kind of like, you know, throw it on yourself, you know, kind of thing. Right. And I'm like, and she's like, come on, go to bed, go to bed. I'm like, Oh, what, what time is it? She's like, it's like two 30, two 30 in the morning. Everyone's gone. Just fine. You know, that's just kind of letting you sleep, but I'll be never, you haven't woken up. So come on, get waking you up now. Oh, oh, okay. Kind of stumbled up to bed. Woke up the next day at like, you know, 11 in the morning. Like oh, it was a Sunday, you know, I'm like, I feel great. Like, whoa, what just happened? <laughs> I just slept like 12 hours and, and there's like no hangover and I feel great. I'm yeah. like, what was that? You know, I want that. I want more of that. And that's when I, when I started. So I got myself a little dugout, you know, with a one hitter, a grinder, you know, um, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. So I had crappy stuff. You know, I had the old, the old, the really crappy, like the Bob Marley <laughs> grinder. It's like, you know, zinc chrome plated. So as you grind all right. that chrome plating, like comes off like the paint coming off and you know it was like this and it gets rusty and shit you know like crap crap stuff ever but i didn't know it was like just grab some basic you know gas station you know grinder or something right and right. um but that's when i started smoking and it was just it was just at night you know and i realized like i i like even today now 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 i'm a regular you know consumer i'm in the business and the whole thing um things really changed uh the, the old software geek is now in the cannabis industry um, I used to be, you know, oh, Eric, the computer guy, you know, now I'm like, oh, Eric, the weed guy. And I'm like, well, I'm not really the weed guy. I'm more like the weed right. guy's cousin, maybe. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, um, but for me, like even today, I don't smoke during the day. Like for me, everyone's different and everyone has their regiments and whatever and their processes and processes and everyone's reaction to 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 the plant is different. Um, for me, you know, I, I got to focus. I get it. Like I'm fine all day. It's for insomnia. So for me, I'm, a, I'm the midnight toker, right? Right. Um, I'm like, it's bedtime one hit. So I did the, the old one hitter thing for years. Um, and um, so I'm a, I'm a straight up old school flower guy, one hitter at night. The work pro, uh, thing was completely unrelated. It, I didn't get into originally. Um, I didn't get into this because like, um, a lot of people, you know, they're growers and they've been doing the black market, you know, doing the home grow, the black market grow, whatever, and doing all the stuff mm -hmm. for years or prohibition or else. And now the licensing that's legal and they're like, oh, I get a license, I can do this. And they're all excited. Mine wasn't like that. It's not like I'm in the industry, like, like black market. Now I'm going to go legit. Right. For me, I was a software geek and it actually spun out of um, a, a, a tech market. I, I ran an interactive agency for my the last 10 years before Green Goddess. Um, the software engineering kind of morphed into everything went internet and all, and it kind of morphed into a digital interactive agency. So we had the software guys doing all, you know, web apps and, and database driven stuff and, and all the tech implementation. But then we had marketing, we have creative design and all that all under one roof. And so it was Green Goddess Supply actually came out of the marketing company almost accidentally. And we started selling product and it wasn't even cannabis stuff at first, but we were selling on Amazon at the time. And it was part of a skunk works project we were doing for, with one of our clients at the time. Um, so none of this was intentional and we were just selling random. We created an Amazon seller account as kind of like 
not because we wanted to sell on Amazon, but it was just something we did for, uh, for, for testing, like setting up like a, a demo playground. To, to, right. Cause we were building technology stuff to interface with this seller accounts and stuff and building technology for sellers. Um, so we needed an account. So we had, and we had to, all right, so we got to sell something. So we were selling like, um, like rubber cockroaches and, and uh, like <laughs> kids toy novelties, you know, like, like slingshot right. rubber chickens and stuff, you know, yeah. um, things, cosmic pencils and all this weird, you know, just, just toys and novelties and stuff. And, um, and then, and we tripped into, um, cause we were looking for, all right, well, we got to sell some products. Like what's got, you know, high demand, what's got, you know, what can we, what can we sell? And, um, we tripped there's a, and it's kind of fun. There's a whole other funny story. I don't know how much time you have or not, but there's a whole funny story behind that. But we, um, we ended up tripping into selling some pipes online, which you can't anymore. They shut all that off. But back in 2015, yeah. you could, yeah. um, early, like late 2014, early 2015, you could sell pipes and we were selling pipes and we started selling more and more and more and more and we started selling more. And, then, and all of a sudden one day, you know, we're like, Hey, we're out of, you know, rubber chickens should we you know should we buy some more and it's like no for every dollar i spend on rubber chickens i make a dollar fifty for every dollar i spend on the pipes i make seven you know it's like <laughs> like no no screw the rubber chicken right know? right um, and so we started doing more and more and more pipes and then all of a sudden you know we, and we we're branding a digital agency a branding company yeah so i always say you know if you're a hammer every problem looks like a nail you know, so it's like we're a branding company and like we got like 12, you know, pipes and all this stuff. We should create a brand around this. And there's reasons strategically for doing that on Amazon, creating a brand, putting a brand registry. You can, you can it's, it's one tool you can use to help fend off com- competitors and stuff and keep them out. Um, so we're like, all right, let's create a brand around this. So we and we did it all in house because we ran an agency. So we created Green Goddess Supply and we created the brand and all that and put a brand around it. And so it was all like that. And then what happened? It was always it was like this little side skunkworks project, but it was taken off and it was growing and growing and growing. And um, and like most things, you get to a point at one. I, I in my original software game, um, I, um, I, I I crossed this path. You know, back in 1993, where I was building this little thing on the side, my software company on the side, I had a day job and it was, um, okay, this is getting bigger now. And now it's starting to demand some attention and resources. It's not just a little cute side thing. Like, is this just a fun hobby or, or is this real? Are we going for it? And back in 1993, I went for it and I left my day job and started, I, I've been working for myself since 93 in the software space. So it was like crossing that, you know, crossing the Rubicon again. That's right. <laughs> Um, but, uh, where all of a sudden it was like, now I've been doing this tech stuff for the last 25 or whatever years it had been at the time. And it's like, this thing has taken off. And it was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. And, and like, we started, it started accidentally, but then because it was starting to move, then it got our attention. And then I started doing the real, like the business analyst side of it and started analyzing this market. And then I saw holes in the market. I saw opportunity and I started getting really fired up for it. Um, and if you, if you fast forward to where we are today, I'm super passionate about the industry. Um, just, I just love everything that we're doing. Um, and that's what happened as I was building this up and building this up. Then I was like, I was getting real burnt out on all the client services work and all that stuff. Right. I've been doing this stuff for like 25 years. And I'm like, all right, this is just really, really getting old. Um, and this was the cannabis industry today reminds me of what excited me about the tech industry back in the late 80s. Absolutely. Okay where it's new, it's innovative, it's, 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 it's all, you know, 
accidental empires and, and new entrepreneurs like Bill Gates, like, you know, some, some like, like pimply faced kid that no one's ever heard of, you know, becomes the next, you know, um, you know, uh, industry tycoon, uh, Steve Jobs, these, these California garage startups that are just pioneering, figuring shit out and all that. And now it's like the same thing. I find this industry um, is maddening, um, drives me insane. You know, there, there are times you just want to scream and, and, and throw punch someone, you know, uh, figuratively speaking, it, it's like, ah, you know, it, there's um it's so dysfunctional <laughs> it's, yeah. um it's so disorganized it's um it's the wild west it's it's kind of an insane market but is that i'm i i really enjoy and gravitate towards building and creating things and i'm like that i'm like this been the serial entrepreneur like building things up and i sell it and then start another build it up and then sell it up and build them up and build them up and build them up and i, I like building business building things and um and uh, that's, I think, well, what drew me to the whole PC. Engine. It was all new and figuring shit yeah. out for the first time and, and being part of that ground floor, building this whole industry. And that's how I feel now. It's maddening. It's insane, the cannabis industry. But it also, there is, therein lies a lot of opportunity. Um, and, um, um, and what I've been doing is taking 25 years worth of experience in business in general and then bringing it to this industry. Right. Um, and... Uh, it's been, it's, and like I said, we're really, now I'm like all fired up. It's like really passionate about this stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, likewise, I, I think, you know, I identified a few years ago that cannabis was going to be the new industry of, uh, it seems like every 20 years or so, there's a new industry that sort of bubbles up and forms for a new generation to decide whether or not they want to jump in. And you're right. The last one was the tech boom. And cannabis has a lot of that excitement uh, around it in, this, in the same way. And it's uh, definitely a bit of you've kind of got to be willing to ride the waves. You know, some sometimes it's a smooth sailing and sometimes it's pretty rocky out there uh, in, in the industry. But go ahead. I was going to say before we get into that, I actually was curious going all the way back to when you were dealing with insomnia. Like what is what is typical for someone who suffers from insomnia, like during that period, like what is your average amount of sleep or rest a night? So for me, legit, I was getting three to four hours actual core sleep. Oh, wow. Um, and, but what it was is, you know, you'd go to bed um, and, um, you know, let's say, um, just to pick a random, go to bed at 11, get up at seven kind of thing, right? And get like right. Your eight hours of sleep. Okay. Um, well, it might be go to bed at 11, toss and turn and you can't get, you know, and the next thing you know, it's two, three in the morning, you're exhausted. You're like, what the, um, you know, and, and then you, you, you like, you finally fall asleep and you get a few, you know, three, four hours of sleep. And then of course it never fails. There's always something that then all of a sudden, you know, maybe it's, I don't know, um, a garbage truck outside or there's something, or, or you know, all, all of a, uh, we had dogs like dog knocks something over and, you know, breaks a bowl. Like there's something that wakes you up before your alarm goes off. Right. You know, and then you're not getting back. Like, you know, wakes you up at like five 30 or, or six. And then you're like, wake up. What is that? Oh, okay. And then now you just tossing and turning. You're not getting back to sleep. And now you're just kind of burning off, trying to get that rest, but exhausted. And you've only got about three, four hours sleep. You're kind of in a fog. And now you just burn off that last hour trying to sleep, but it's, it's in vain. And finally the alarm's going off and you're like, all right, I guess I'm getting up. And then you just feel like you're like, 
you know, just, just lethargic exhausted. and tired and exhausted yeah. and you're like, Hey, you know, yay team, let's go. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause I find that sleep and getting, make sure that I get enough rest because I mean, I think like a lot of people in today's society, you know, eight hours is what we strive for, but eight hours is tough to get for most people. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of us tend to run on six to seven probably, or even less, maybe five to seven for a lot of people. But I think like the first thing I always notice when I start to feel run down, like I'm going to get sick or something is that, man, just increase your, your, your sleep, you know, and it usually helps uh, avert any real serious uh, illness. It's like you just let yourself get ran down. And too often, I, I don't know of anything people really do um, if they go to the doctor besides be prescribed prescriptions. But as you mentioned, like, it always cracks me up when I see, and I don't understand why we're, uh, this is a whole nother conversation, or maybe it is part of this conversation, but uh, with prescription drugs, like you see these long lists of, of side effects on them. And it's like, sometimes you're just like you said, it's like, I, maybe I would rather just deal with the problem than take all, take, deal with these side effects or find another solution. Yeah, exactly. Mainly, and then they start rattling off. It's like the old, remember the old FedEx commercial where the guy does this whole, like, and you give me the speed reader guy, and he's actually talking. And just, yeah. like, this was a talent of his, but he like speed reads at like the, the you know, lightning fast. Um, he used to do the micro machine commercials. If you remember micro machines, the little toy cars. Yeah. 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 And, and so, so it's um, these, these pharmaceutical commercials are like, they just, all of a sudden they rattle off for like one of them is like for, for like 30 seconds rattling off, you know, you know, may lead to, you know, increased stroke, uh, heart attacks, uh, incontinence, uh, you know, uh, uh, anal leakage, blah, blah, blah. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, oh, 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 uh, rashes and, you know, whatever. And, um, right. And, uh, you know, partial paralysis. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, the uh, the side effects are, are uh, you know, it's one of those things like, well, the good news is we cured the cancer. The bad news is the patient died, you know, from the drugs. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. right. I mean, you know, sometimes, they, you know, the old, the, the cure is worse than, than, uh, than the original disease, you know. So it's, uh, it's like there's all these side effects and stuff. And so I, it was it was bad enough for me that I. Um, I made I made a conscious decision after working it through with my doctor, and over the course of about a month, it was a couple of weeks on the first one, then went back again, then another you know another appointment, changed the prescription, a couple of weeks on the second one, and finally I get it was bad enough that I was like I'd rather just suffer the original you know problem than because these these solutions are worse. Right. Right. You know, uh, and I'm yeah. not saying they don't work for everyone. I'm just saying sure. that was my experience. That was my sure. experience. Sure. Um, Absolutely. And and accidentally discovered that um, um, that weed is like amazing. Like you get yeah. the right strains, you know. Get uh, um, those. I like. I just call them like the heavy indicas, you know. But but it's it's not really an indica sativa thing. But for lack of a better one of the one of my complaints about the way the industry is sort of cultivars are sort of over. I won't say they're over crossbreeding, but through all the hybridization of all the strains, it's like, I feel like we're kind of losing that a little bit. The true heavy indicas or the true pure sativas, we're, we're kind of losing those 
effective elements. Uh, if you go to the store now, it's it's so difficult. Most bud tenders can't even tell you. They're like, "Well, it says indica or sativa," and that's I'm like, "Well, but can you tell me what the what the lineage, what the genetics of that crossbreed is, or you know, can you tell me anything about it?" <laughs> right, right, right. And 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 with dispensaries and with the proliferation of dispensaries opening, and and you know, you're going from that. You know, it's not just a concentrated group of some really really knowledgeable bud tenders now. Like we've gone from like six in Massachusetts to we've got several hundred now. We're going to have 400 by the end of this year and, you know, eventually be thousands. Right. I mean, it's yeah. just like they're just just exploding now. We get like 25, 30 every month now coming online. And so, um, you know, you're reaching deeper and deeper into that. You know, I'll say the talent pool, so to speak. So you're getting more and more just like, you know, one body, you know, and I'm not trying to downplay the industry, but it's just a fact of like, you know, training and all Expansion. that stuff. You're getting uh, people who are, you know, getting hired that are not necessarily, you know, been in the industry and know everything inside out and, you know, they're new to the industry and, um, and they're just learning all this stuff. So it's different, you know, it's, it's um, and, and there is, there's a whole push, you know, depending on like um, uh, I know like uh, Kristen Yoder has her t-shirts, you know, it's a sativa and Indica's lazy marketing. And she's correct. And she's correct because it's not, yeah. it's, it's way deeper than that. You can have indicas that are very uplifting and, um, you know, have that normal like sativa like, and you have, and you can have sativas that can knock you out, you know, cause it's yes. really a lot, it goes a lot deeper than that. So and the entire terpene profile, the whole cannabinoid profile, the terpene profile. And like you said, everything is pretty much, uh, uh, everything's a freaking hybrid these days. I mean, there, there are, there really aren't, there's nobody growing, uh, you know, pure land race. I shouldn't say nobody, but you know, but it's just not a thing. So rare. I I, tr I try to look for the land races because I I do like the pure. I'm a, I'm I feel like the industry has kind of went toward, um, unfortunately, towards the trends of marketing, and it just it's looking for like just like with the music industry. Well, this is the hot song for this quarter. Now we need a new hot song for the new quarter. So it's the same thing. They're like, well. Strawberry banana was hot this week. Now we need uh, blue raspberry, you know, is going to be the new strain this week. And it's like, instead of just growing really great, you know, Durban poison or really great Afghani or, or something that's just a really, you become really good at those hardcore, you know, strains that kind of sp sprang all the other strains, so to speak. Right, right, right. So that's true. And and there is a consumerism. I mean, you know, the reality is it is a business too. So you can't right. just say, you can't be totally purist. Like I, I do, you know, like growers and stuff. I talk to in the industry, you know, like, oh, F that man, you know, you know, you know, corporate, you know, interests and I'm in the marketing, but it, you know, it is becoming an it industry. And when you, when it becomes an industry, you got to be able to boil this stuff down and mass market it to, to, to the masses where they don't have a PhD in botany and know all the, you know, right. cannabinoid profiles and all stuff. They just want to, they walk in and you, so you got to kind of simplify it, dumb it down, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't, you know, um, should we be dumbing it down though? I mean, I mean, and I guess I'm, I, I because I, I'm one of the, I sort of am a traditionalist in some ways, but I also recognize the business aspect of it. And I feel like there has to be a way to find a happy medium between the existing old school culture of cannabis and the new generation of a lot of people who, as you mentioned earlier, aren't from the culture, aren't from the industry, from the legacy industry. Um, you know, they're from corporate world, they're lawyers, they're 
you know, new, new kids maybe that, that are fresh out of school even, and like finding a, a way to mesh that. And I think education is a big part of that, which is something that I've been overall pretty disappointed to see like the, there's not a real effort to to do more in an educational level of educating the public about it. Um, right. You know, I, even out here in California, you know, it's a little more advanced of a, of a market as far as maturity. But in the same sense, we're still you know, we're fighting vape bans, you know, the health department up north in one of the up north counties is trying to implement vape bans, uh, you know, and they, they, they start out focusing on tobacco and then they try and in- include cannabis with it. And, you know, it's the same old school, as you just mentioned, kind of talking points and rhetoric that we grew up on with the, 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 the war on drugs. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that, too. That's still a big problem. Problem. Um, and con- Congress has done it. I mean, we, we've got just in the industry, we've gotten hammered left and right. I mean, vape bans out in Massachusetts, there was state level in Massachusetts. Um, and they, they put on a ban. There was it was the black. I don't know if you know it from if you've seen it in the headlines and stuff. But about a year and a half ago, um, the end of 2019 or 20, uh, I think it was end of 2019 into 2020, just before the pandemic. Hit. Yeah, that's what it was. So whatever that was two years ago, um, they um, uh, they put in a, a vape ban because there was uh, tainted cartridges and it was from the black market. They were putting the vitamin E oil, you know, as, yep. a, as a vitamin E acetate. Yeah. Yeah. And and so they uh, and but it was from the illicit black market. So uh, the governor of Massachusetts just put an immediate halt on a vape ban on everything and instantly and everything, you know which immediately closed every vape shop. Just they just closed and most of them never reopened. Um, and then even the smoke shops and head shops where vaping stuff would be only 10 or 20 percent of their sales. But that vape ban caused an 80 percent plunge in revenue, because even though the vaping stuff might have only been 10 percent of their revenue, let's say I come into the store to buy some you know, e-liquid or something and it's like $10. Things. But then while I'm there, I'm like, oh, let me grab that bong, you know, right. for 120 bucks, right? So it stopped the foot traffic coming in, which stops all the incidental sales and all the, you know, they're just not coming into the store anymore. So banning that 10 or 20% of the market actually caused an 80% and, and a bunch of the head shops went out of business, right. never to reopen again, you know? And right. so for us, we, we're in the insulin market. We do, we do grinders and rolling trays and all these kinds, you know, and pipes and, and, and all, you know, a higher quality smoking accessory. And, um, we, um, we sell to the vape shops, we sell to the smoke shops and our customers are all closing the doors and going out of business. So now it's impacting my sales. And after four <laughs> months, are, are you allowed to sell paraphernalia in the dispensaries there in Massachusetts out of yes. curiosity? Okay. Yes. Yep. Um, and so the, um, so they, you know, they, it, it destroyed the market. Um, and, and it was really a, a knee jerk reaction that had the exact opposite effect of what was intended. And that is that often the case, <laughs> all right, let's shut everything down because, you know, they're, they're like, you know, people got sick, you know, and, and I think someone like there were actually a couple of deaths, you know, a couple of people died, you know, the, sure. the, the jelly lung stuff or whatever. So like, all right, all right shut everything down. It's a health crisis or whatever. But but what happened with the problem was, and everybody in the industry knew this. We all knew. We're like, wait a second. No, this is from the black market where people Absolutely. are just cooking shit in the basement and, and you have no idea what's in it or whatever. 
the stuff going the selling in dispensaries and things like that, that stuff's all lab tested. That's all like it's so you shut down the legit industry to drive more people back to the black market where the actual problem was originally. Yes. It's like it's, it's exactly the opposite. You're like, you know, it's kind of like say, telling a little kid, like, you don't want to eat too much candy. You're going to get a stomach ache. So here, have some more ice cream and have some more chocolate. Like what? Now yeah, it's like it's exactly the opposite. Um, it's an irrational. It just it's, destroyed everything. After four months. They said, okay, they figured it all out and everything. They're like, all right, never mind. Vape ban is lifted. It's too well, late. Okay, great. However, probably like 30% of my customers were closed and never to reopen again. You just you just put all these little guys out and they're yeah. all little independents. You know, they can't afford it. Whatever. So all these little guys who had his whole life savings in this little shop, you know, whatever. He just lost it all. He, he lost everything and filed bankruptcy, whatever. You just screwed all these people over. Um, so now we're hobbled. And and then and then we finally, I think it was February of 20, the vape bands lifted through February. Things start to recover, you know, like, OK, let's get going again. And then March, we had the covid lockdowns and everything. And all the stores are shut again. And it was like, oh, my. And then a whole nother yeah, wave yeah. just couldn't survive that. And yeah. you can't pay salaries. You can't keep paying rent if you if the store's not open and you're not selling anything. And a whole bunch, a whole new wave of closures. It's like, oh, my God. And so then we kind of get through that. And by 2021 uh, or the end of 20, we're, um, you know, we're kind of getting through that. Stores are starting to reopen. We're trying to get 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 things going again. And um, and then Trump signed off on the PACT Act, which makes it illegal to mail any vaping stuff. And what they do is this is all like, like, well, because, you know, teenagers with the jewel pods and the, and the flavored nicotines and all that stuff. I get that. That shit's addictive. And I don't want 14 year olds smoking, you know, jewel Absolutely. pods either. But what Congress has done in their infinite wisdom is they took all the tobacco legislation and they changed the definition. One of the one of the bills they put through just changed the definition of tobacco products to include everything related to cannabis and all that stuff. So now everything, all, all the regulations. So now you have like, we, we had a vape cart, a vape battery mm -hmm. that, that we sold. We had to put a warning on there that said like, cause the tobacco, we had to put like this product contains nicotine. It, it's a complete lie. No, it does not. But the government it's a battery, it. it's a battery. It's literally a battery. It's right. hardware. There's no nicotine in it. And it's not even meant to vape nicotine anyway. Okay, right. it has nothing to do with it. It's for CBD oils, right? That's what we were selling them at the time, but you know, CBD vapes and stuff, vape carts. And it was like, it's a CBD vape, uh, vapor, it's a battery. But now we have like this product contains nicotine, nicotine can be addictive. And blah, blah. There's literally, we're not in the nicotine, we're not in the tobacco yeah. business. There's not one single nicotine product that we sell. Yeah. It's it's interesting because that's it's a conversation we're we're having out out here now, you know, in California is there are some there's some legislation being proposed and it's you know, it's that conversation about distancing ourselves as an industry from the tobacco conversation and I think we're going to do I think we're going to do well on one of the bills, but as you just mentioned, you know, the labeling issue right now, we're facing a legislation that's going to require basically about a third to two to, to a half of packaging would be covered in all these warning labels. And it's like, what, what is really the, the, the point of this? It's just, this is why, Cal <laughs> this is why California has the reputation of overregulation, obviously, but, um, I, I don't know. It's 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 very frustrating that 
that it hasn't progressed because honestly, the, the conversation really starts to come down. Absolutely not, not when, not when related to tobacco, but certainly with cannabis, when it comes to vaping in particular, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm more of a flower guy myself. I'm not a big, big vapor, but I recognize that vaping is one of the more accurate ways you could dose. And for somebody that is using uh, cannabis for some sort of a medicinal or a wellness aspect to their lifestyle, it's the most accurate way for them to dose. Um, and, and so from that perspective, you know, it's a safe access uh, aspect to me. And as you mentioned, I, I have this conversation with so many city officials I, and, and they it, it's it's a conversation we've just got to continue to have that they understand that being more restrictive on the legal market, where, as you said, all the products are being tested, they're being regulated before they hit the consumer. In fact, we are the most stringently tested products on the mark of any market. The food you buy in the grocery store, I don't think people realize, has more pesticides and, and stuff on it because it has laxer testing requirements than cannabis products do. And I, I just don't think people even realize that sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it's, um, you know, th th these issues, I, you know, decoupling it from tobacco, like just slide changing the definition of tobacco product to include just automatically grandfathering everything cannabis related is, yeah. is terrible. That's like, it's a completely different industry. Well, it's counterintuitive as to what they've said for, or at least I, I will say what the democratic party has been saying now that they're in power these kind of bills are in place and yet they don't really move forward with legislation. I know we've just passed the more act for the sixth time or seventh time, but whether it's going to, I still don't, I'm still doubtful. Anything's going to happen with it. You know, it's I'm so it's, pessimistic. I'm hoping for the best. <laughs> I think I'm like everybody hoping for the best, but so pessimistic. It's not right. going anywhere. And yeah. it's awful. It's awful. It's politics. I think it's, it's petty politics. We have what 38 or 39 States have some form of, of, of right. retail, uh, you know, like medical or medicinal or, or rec. Yeah. Or, or rec, um, like 38 out of the 50, do the math. What is it like 75% now um, uh, of the yeah. States have, have um, cannabis programs. And it's like, it's, it's basically right around hovering right around 70% of just the population all supports it. Um, it is a bipartisan issue. It's not that, you know, it's, it's all the Democrats or all the Republicans. It's a bipartisan issue. Everybody just agrees so if three quarters of the states all have cannabis programs, 70 percent of the population are all in support. What's the problem? And the problem is it comes down to two things. It comes down to the a big underlying thing is there's a lot of politics behind it. There's a lot. There's a lot of the. Um, of the well, we're not the party in power, so we're not going to give you a win. Yeah. It's like, come on, you're, 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 you're going to like, like, like you're going to hurt. You're going to damage the whole country because you don't want to give the other guy a win, you know, kind of all, shit. All, although although I would argue that if if the Democrats don't figure a way to get this through soon. I mean, I'm anticipating that the midterms are not going to go well for Democrats. And I, I mean, it could set up the Republicans to start to take over this issue and, and own it and pass something and become the champions of this cause. As ironic as that would be. <laughs> right. And, and right. Very ironic. And the thing is that um, I don't know that that would happen. I, at the end of the day, I just want it passed. So I don't care who does I it. Agree. Takes credit. I don't care. Just get it done. Right. Um, but uh, but I don't know that I see that happening either. Um, it's, you know, the um, 
I, I think right now it is a wedge issue. You know, it is an issue that um, that strategically I can see the, the GOP block saying, why give them a win? Yeah, because you say just like you said, don't give them a win. Then then the Democratic base is all pissed at the, that they didn't get it done and it's going to hurt them in the midterm. So like, yeah, well, then why pass it? Let's hurt them. Let's let's. It's all politics. It's not what's right for the country and what the what constituents want. It's just because of political jockeying for who's going to have power. OK, yeah. there's all that aspect of it. The other aspect of it is um, those who are against tend to be like the, the, the deep southern red states like in Alabama and, and Mississippi and, and yeah. you know, Tennessee, um, that um, those tend to be Republican yeah. and they have Republican senators. And and they tend to be if you look at the demographic breakdown and this is the other issue, the first issue is we don't want to give them a win in the politics side of it. The other issue is that there's a demographic breakdown. There's like. I don't even remember the number exactly. So don't quote me on this, but like, you know, 80 or 90 percent support amongst like 18 yeah. to, you know, like 30 year olds. Right. Then that sort of like 70 percent um, from of the like 30 to 55. But as you get older, the older crowd has less and less and less. And people like 70 and up have like 11 percent support. They mostly anti-pot. OK, sure. What is the average age of our senators? Absolutely. We, we've got a representation problem. <laughs> problem. The, 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 the problem is that the guys that are actually casting the votes are all anti-pot. They're all in their right. 70s and are anti-pot, you know, and, and a lot of it, especially on the Republican side, a lot of the, the, the more conservative southern states and all that stuff. And they're just not going to vote for it. But that's not what the people want or what the states want. You know, yeah. uh, it's just the demographic of the guy who's voting is like, well, I'm anti-pot. I'm not doing it. So I, I don't think it's going to go that, you know, if it was a simple majority, it would be done. Right. It would absolutely be done. We, we would have all fifth, uh, probably, I don't know, uh, most of maybe give or take the random one, but most of the Democrats would vote for it and we get a we get a handful of Republicans. But I don't know that's going to pass the 60. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 difficult. Um, obviously, there's the Republicans are looking at it, I think, more of a business perspective. I think Democrats are trying to look at it more from a social perspective. And I, I don't know whether they're going to come in or if they ever will come into alignment on it. I know a lot of talk out here is really around um, banking and safe banking access for the industry and the feeling that that's really when, um, you know, when when all the alignments have been made with the big corporations that have the ability to come in politically, you know, both for the political um, leadership to make the alignments with the corporations that have the ability to come in and just sort of buy up uh, everybody that's trying to jockey for position in the, for market share in the industry now. Um, I think that's when you'll see safe banking, and at the same at the same time, I think when banking goes through is when when that's going to happen is when we're going to get at least decriminalization and probably legalization um, at a, at a federal level. But I think it'll be very. I don't know. I think it'll be an interesting conversation because uh, they have very different agendas, from what I understand, um, from the two different sides on how they want to put that through. Yeah, and 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 you know I. I Honestly, I see both sides. I, I sure. get it. There's the, 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 the one side, you know, the um, like there is a lot of Republican pushback on the social, you right. know, all, all of the um, expungement and social equity issues and stuff. There's a lot of pushback on that. They're like they're willing to pass banking. Right. And then you get the progressives that say. 
you know, and, 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 you know, for me in the industry, I'm like, just give us the banking. Like, like it's yeah. just, it is a daily grind. It's a problem. It's a freaking yes. daily problem. And it is, it, it just, just, just give us the banking. You know, they expect to pay a lot. They expect us to pay a lot of taxes. The least they could do is help facilitate that. Right. Exactly. And, and it's just, it's just so difficult. You keep having merchant accounts canceled, bank accounts shut down and all this stuff for no good reason. Okay. So just give it, give us the banking would be just so huge to, to let, let us just operate a normal business in a normal way. Right. But I do understand the progressive point is if you give banking is that big, that's, that's the big nugget, right? That's the big carrot. And if you give the banking and you just sign off on banking and it's like, then the whole industry is like, we're good. The rest is all nice to have, but we're good. Now we're moving forward. And then they'll never get the other stuff through. Right. So they have to like kind of solder them together and get them through as one package. And I, I get, I understand both approaches. I'm kind of in the middle where I'm like, well, Every day I have to go to work and I have to run a business. I got to pay my employees. I got to like, like I need the banking. I need this stuff done, you know? Um, but on the other hand, the other things are important and I, I, I'm not discounting that. So I, I'm kind of in the middle on the whole thing. You know, it's kind of like, guys, you know, and I guess maybe it's that whole cannabis hippie thing. It's like, why can't we just get along, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's a problem that I think in general society, certainly our politicians have in, in the sense that it is very hard for people to come together and find middle ground, even though that's really where all the progress really gets made. I mean, um, you know, certainly, as you said, the banking is an important part of it. I see that side of it. It needs to happen. It, it only makes sense for it to happen at the same time. I think, you know, both sides could give a little bit, you know, um, and, and find some ground in the middle. Like you Americans, said, with ex- Americans are in the middle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like you said, ex- expungements. I can't think of, a, of of many Americans, honestly. I mean, I'm sure there are some out there and it's a probably a 25, 30 percent. But I think the majority would be in favor of expungements. I think it's it is kind of crazy to have people sitting in jail for decades for, you know, petty, you know, possession charges of can- of cannabis. Um at the sa- at the same time, I can I at the same time I don't ever see the Republicans go- go- getting on board with as, as some of the more extreme um, social equity requirements that are being imposed by some markets. I, I, I don't ever see them adopting that on a national scale. And so I think they have to find a way to come together and, and meet in the middle somewhere. I, I agree. And most, most Americans are in the middle. Most Americans, because I, 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 mean, I follow politics, I'm very in, in personally interested in, and I, you know, um, politics and what's going on and all that stuff. And, and, um, you know, most Americans are not as divided as on issues as right. it seems. We have the parties are like have gone polar opposites. Most Americans are in the middle. Yeah. You know, and uh, and what's really funny is I'll hear. I don't think there's a single person alive that I've ever talked to who has not said these words out of their mouth. Well, you know, I'm fiscally conservative. I'm more but I'm more socially yeah. liberal. So many people. I hear that from everybody. I'm like, all right, that's the very definition of every person in, in, in the country. Okay. I'm like, no, no. Who's like, oh no, let's just spend money and go into debt. No, everyone, everyone says that. Okay. Well, th- there are some people that are like, uh, you know, true Keynesianist uh, believers w- would say that it doesn't matter. We should just print whatever we want and spend as much as we want. It's all imaginary. 
I tend to think that that does matter. <laughs> it does matter. It does matter. But, but, you know, I'm just saying that like, like anecdotally talk to your friends and family and all that stuff. And mostly they all say this, but if they're Democrats, they're Republican, they well, the same words come out of their mouth. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's, it's more of the, the, the problem with politics is the business side of politics where it's like, well, we got to gain power so that we can control this. So we can do that. We got to like, so then it becomes this jockeying of positions, not what people really want. And that's, yeah. a, that's a big issue. The other big, big, big issue that, that we have to solve in this industry, there's many, uh, we <laughs> talked about the marketing, you know, there's the business sides, the legalization. Um, there's the marketing side of the whole Indica Sativa. We need a better way of, of uh, and I, I'm at a loss. I don't know that I know the answer off the top of my head. I don't, I've, everybody I've heard, when I say everybody, I've heard lots of people in the industry, people in the know all acknowledge this issue and problem. I've never yes. heard one actual solution proposed though. Um, nobody's got a good solution for it. Um, the, um, but then the other issue um, that's a big, huge issue is um, home grow. It's, yes. it's we, we've got to, it, it's like, we've got to push back and support home grow because there's absolutely, you know, what's happened is you get the big, big money, you know, the, the, the big public companies, your, your huge MSOs worth billions, you know, billions and yeah. market cap um, are all, you know, they'll lobby the crap out of killing homegrow because it's, you know, they, they, it, it's, I see it as corporate greed. Um, um, and the reality, what I keep telling, what I keep espousing is that it's, it's short-sighted and it's, it's just, it's driven by greed and not reality. Okay. Think about the food, food industry. Okay. Um, you know, you when, can't when, grow tomatoes at home. <laughs> right, right. You, you, you can grow tomatoes, cucumbers, you can grow all your stuff. And the fact that I've, I have a little uh, victory garden going, I got some tomatoes and cucumbers. You think I'm never going to Whole Foods again? Right. Okay. The flip side of that is also um, they, they opened a, uh, a new, um, I don't know, TGI Fridays open. I don't know if you have those in California, but uh, oh, oh, I'm familiar. <laughs> or whatever. Some new restaurant, new restaurant opens in town. Oh my God. Whole Foods is going out of business now. You know, restaurants did not put grocery stores out of business or the farmer's market out of business. The farmer's markets are not putting grocery stores out of business and the grocery stores are not putting restaurants out of business. Right. Every single American. Have you cooked a meal at home in the last month? Of course. Have you gone out to a restaurant in the last month? Of course. Okay. It's all part of the market. And the reality is a good 15% of the market's home growing already. Look at all the hydro stores in every street corner and people have tents and whatever. And obviously we make home grow solutions um, with the armoire. Um, I mean, home grow, it's already here. Yeah. Okay. It's already here, but you have the corporate greed trying to write in bill into bills and stuff on state by state basis, trying to, get rid of the home grow provisions and and it's taken activists having to stand up say no wait a second you can't do that you know you have you have retirees baby boomers like you know we're in that home grow market very yeah. big um you know we started off selling all the ancillary products and the grinders and the rolling trays making higher quality accessories um but then um we invented our own home grow solution and um, so now our whole product line, it's uh, it's, you know, cultivation right through to consumption. We have everything so you can grow it and store it, roll it, chop it, grind it, smoke it, you know, uh, end to end whole life cycle. And um, 
And so that's near and dear to our hearts. And we're very passionate about it. And it takes these activists saying, wait a second, you know, like, like we know we're in the, we're in the market. 95% of our customers with our solution have never grown before. Yep. And the overwhelming majority of them are, are like, like 80% are doing it for medicinal purposes. And a huge chunk of that are retirees and baby boomers. You know, it's it medical. All right. And, you know, we have case studies on this where people who are um, using uh, cannabis for medicinal purposes as alternatives to opioids, um, you know, definitely afraid of getting addicted to opioids and all that stuff. Talk to the doctor, want cannabis instead, doctor approves, they do it, they go, this works great. And while they're working, it's fine. But then they get to retirement and like, oh, crap, I'm on a pension. I'm on a fixed income now. And that 500 bucks a month at a dispensary for the two of us, um, <laughs> you know, a couple. And like this, this is an actual I'm, I'm riffing this off of an actual case study of one of our customers. Um, it was a couple and they were both um, using uh, medicinal cannabis um, instead of opioids. And um, but then when they retired, they're like 500 bucks a month we're spending at a dispensary. And it's like right. that's six grand a year. And we're yeah. on a fixed income now. So like they got our box and they're growing it themselves now and they're spending a couple of hundred bucks a year, you know? And it's like, the thing is that it's a fallacy like home grow versus. So if you, if you made it illegal, like they would just be suffering now because they can't afford it. Right. So it's not like, Oh no, stop that. Make them buy the dispensaries. Well, they're not going to buy the dispensary either. Or they're not going to buy enough. They're going to have to scale back. Again, you're just forcing people into the black market again. Or the, right. the the illicit market. And that's I mean. what it is. It's not going to. It doesn't affect the bottom line of the dispensaries because it's just pushing them either to. They're they're just not going to do it because they can't afford it, or they're going right back to the black market again. Well, it's it's ridiculous, and and there's a there's a, a bill that's being passed out here, or it's up to be passed that would allow for. It's really designed to allow growers in very rural areas that don't have dispensaries to be able to actually sell at farmers markets. And I have been surprised at that there has not been pushback from the larger companies on it. Um, And maybe it's because they're just not interested in those markets. But I think the reality is most places that do allow home grow, they limit it to six plants. At, at, at not, I don't know many places that have more than that, um, if any. I don't know any off the top of my head. And that is just simply not enough to impact the market share of, of a large company. Yeah, it's and, just the, and, not. And, and the reality is that... Um, and if anything, it, that's going to get me into growing. It's going to make me want to go to the dispensary or to the retail store to see what's on the market and how good my stuff compares to it. And, you know, you're still going to buy something once in a while. Yeah, well, that's the thing, and that's what I'm talking about: restaurants and and uh, and. Yeah, restaurants. absolutely. Okay. Um, I've been growing for three years myself. I'm a big flower guy. I love my flower. I grow my own flower. Okay. Have I bought anything from a dispensary in the last month? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm not. I'm. We have like we actually sell a bundle with uh, with a uh, the butter brewer home infusion device, so you can grow your own. And we've done videos on it and stuff, so you can grow and then you can use this to. It's like kind of like a a, a fancy, very specialized crockpot kind of device. Oh, nice! That you throw your wheat in, it automatically decarb decarboxylates and infuses. Does a, an amazing job. Um, it does a better job than the old school by hand methods, like in the oven and all that stuff. 
and um, and it's way faster. It's better and faster and easier. And then you can turn around, you can use, so you can infuse butters and coconut oils or whatever, and you can make all these edibles and all stuff. Myself personally, too lazy for that. I'm not doing it. We have lots of customers that love doing right. that. Um, it's, it's like, even like myself and Jennifer, like she, she loves cooking. She, she cooks every night. And our, our division of labor is I do all the dishes every night. I'll, I'll <laughs> stuff. I hate cooking. I'm actually good yeah. at it. I can't cook. I'm good. At, I hate it. It's just not fun. That's just a, that's a chore for her. It's not a chore. She thought about she, she's in education, but years and years, neons ago when she was in college and all that, she thought about doing cooking like as a career. Um, and so she loves it. It's a, it's a hobby. She loves doing that. I'm like, knock yourself out. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and make edibles. I don't care. I'm not, I'm that's a chore. I'll just go to the store and buy them. So like edibles, vape carts, concentrates, I'm not doing rosin presses and I'm not, I grow yeah. my flower. I'll pack too much. That's the end of it. If I want finished manufactured products like edibles or vape carts or r- rosin or any of that stuff, I'm going to go to a dispensary. Yeah. Yeah, you're not doing uh, you know high volatile <laughs> volatile extraction uh, to 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 make your own concentrates and stuff at home. That that's that's not going to happen. Yeah, but yeah. you've you've definitely made it to where because I I have grown at home and it it can be daunting for somebody to go and piece together everything they need. But as you've mentioned, you know, and it's interesting that you call yours the armoire, the armoire, because I, I actually years ago, I see it right there behind you. It's and it is beautiful because years ago I actually had an armoire <laughs> that I that I converted to hold a, a giant mother plant at one time, um, and and I was so proud of that armoire. But when I saw yours, is obviously much nicer and 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 well well done. I mean, you've really simplified it to where. You know, like you said, somebody who doesn't know a lot about growing can essentially, you know, grow a little bit of, of, of medicine or, you know, product at home for themselves for self-consumption. And they don't have to worry about, has it been properly tested? Has it done this? Has it done that? Oh, yeah, they know exactly how it's been grown. Oh, yeah. To me, that's to me, that's the very definition of what safe access is actually all about. Exactly. Exactly. There's no pesticides. There's no mold. There's no, it's just clean, organic. The only thing that went into it was purified water, organic soil, and light. Right. It's it's just as clean and and pure as you can get. Um, I get to grow the exact strains that I want, that I need for myself. Um, Not just whatever the local dispensary happens to have, but I I can get whatever I want. Um, And, you know, when you talk about like, you, you know, you said the six plants and all that stuff, traditional photos that go that take longer you have to grow more plants because it has to last you like if you're just doing one harvest or two harvests a year like if it's indoor you can you you know you go on five six months or whatever you you can do two cycles right you got to grow enough to to hold you over for the next six months while you're growing more plants again Mm -hmm. right um but what we're doing here with the armoire is we're focusing on autoflowers those the autoflower genetics have come so far, it has. so far, so fast, you know, just in the last couple of years, get great stable genetics. I get like 30% uh, THC strains. I mean, you can get um, just amazing. They, they've done a great job of honing in on how to get just the characteristics from the ruderalis to make it that autoflower, but inherit all the cannabinoid and terpene profile from the original, you know, photo period plants and yeah. the original strain, bland ray strains and whatever. And that um, they're amazing. And, and that you can, you can, we can grow a plant and we've got special between the hardware and our protocol. We've got some special 
tactics and techniques and things that we use to get outsized results. You know, we're not getting an ounce, we're getting like four or five, six ounces, you know, whatever. Oh, wow. And then like 60 or 70 days. So this is a one plant solution. Now we fill that whole box with one big, huge plant, but right. it's one plant. You don't even need six or 12. I just grow one at a time and it throws off. Like I, out of one plant, I, I just harvested this one, you know, April Fool's Day, April 1st, I harvested, this is gummy bears from Atlas Seeds. Um, these are quart sized jars. I got six of these out of my plant. Oh, wow. That's six of them. Smells awesome. <laughs> um, it, uh, I got six of these out of my plant and then now I've got a new seed. It's, it just started to sprout this morning. I can, I can see it's kind of like the, the, the bend, you know, it's, it's just starting to pop up. Um, so I got a new one going and then I got one going in this one. And so what, what is the growth cycle? What, what is the length of time? 60 to 60, 90 days or something well, like it that? It depends on the genetics. Um, I'd say most like 60 or 70% of the auto strains are, they call them 60 day strains to be 60 or 70. You know, there's a little, you know, gotcha. it's nature. They're all a little different, whatever. You yeah. could be 55 days, you could be 65, whatever, somewhere in that range. Um, but about 60 day strains. Um, and then there's um, a chunk of 90 day strains. Uh, that's, you know, it's probably like 70% of the, of the orders are like 60 day strains and then probably like slightly less than, you know, maybe 65%, right. And then slightly less, like maybe 25% are, are, um, 90 day strains. And then there's a small sliver of five or 10% of the market that are like 120 day strains. There's a few of those that run long, the big bulk. And, and I, you know, and the breeders will list that stuff. And what I do is I gravitate to it. I go for the 60 to 70 day strains. Yeah. Um, I want to pop them fast, turn them, flip them. You know, I don't want to, I, I like the shorter, quick, quick, you know, um, and it's, it's diminishing returns. I find that the 90 day strains, it's not, it takes 50% longer than, you know, two months versus three right. months. It takes 50% longer. I'm not getting 50% more yield out of them. So right. it's like, just go for the shorter ones, you know, get, get four or five ounces, sometimes six, seven. Uh, I've gotten up to 7.8, up to half a pound, like in 60 days out of a plant. But, but my average, I average around four, five, six, uh, four or five, yeah. you know, mostly. Um, like this one, I got five ounces. Um, I got five ounces out of this. And for most people, I mean, I know some people are heavier smokers than most, but if you're somebody that's growing and you, you know, you're growing for your own self-consumption, like that's, that's quite a bit that, that, that'll last you until your next harvest. Most likely. I mean, most people go through, uh, like a hat, like people are smoking consistent, like what a half ounce a month or something like that, or maybe an ounce a month. Yeah. Maybe a half ounce. Yeah. A half ounce so, maybe. So I'm getting, I just got five ounces. Yeah. I got five ounces. I'm growing another plant now. So I, I smoke every night. Um, I consider myself at this point, a heavier smoker. Sure. Um, I mean, I'll go through an ounce or two. I'll probably have three left when my next plant's done. Right. You know, I never, right. I'm just going one at a time and I never have a shortage. And yeah. now like I have two going, uh, I, it's not, now, now it's just an embarrassment of riches. And that's just, I'm, I'm, we do have some people that are growing in, in two box. They buy a second box and they grow in two different things and I'm different yeah. cycles. For me, it's more like, you know, I, I mean, I work for the company, so I've, these are all test units and I'm testing sure. different things. And, you know, so, so I got like the one in the cherry cabinet here in the middle. Uh, is empty right now. I'm not growing in that one, mm. um, but I've got a test unit prototype the, the blonde wood behind me. Um, I can show you if you want. I get a really nice plant going. How how difficult is the um, is the cleaning on on those in between? Just wipe them out and good to go. Yep. I, I take a little hand back 
And then I just Clorox wipe and just wipe it down and I'm done. It takes me like two minutes. Um, yeah, it's very simple. Um, and this is uh, basically water once a day. Um, we like to, uh, we recommend people do LST stress training um, at about three, three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, but we offer a concierge service. We literally will handhold you and teach you how to grow and walk you through the whole thing. When it comes time to LST, like, let's get on a Zoom video call. We'll walk you through it on video. We're like, all right, see that one over there right next to that? Yeah, right there. <laughs> that over here we'll, we'll show you we'll, usually once we do it we and we explain we're educating while we do it we're not just saying sure. do this do this do this okay you're done it's like do this do this here's why here's why this is what we're trying to accomplish and once you've done it you go oh okay that wasn't so hard yeah now you know and then now for the rest of your life now you know how to do lsd you know i mean it's just so we teach people we, we walk them through we're here it's different than th- this unit is, is handled very different than like tents where you're cobbling together and, you know, lights and tents and ventilation and all this stuff. And, and you're on your own, you come home from the hydro store, you're on your own, you know, and, and, and people are constantly posting in forums. Oh, my plant's drooping and it's yellowed and it's got this, it's got that. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You're not calling the tent company. They're like, we're not, we're not dealing with consultants, you know, that's not a job. Um, But for us, it is, it's all part of the service. We have that concierge service. Um, We'll, we make sure everyone's successful. You will be successful. Uh, If you're not successful, it's because you haven't called us and that's more on you. You know, (laughs) we're here, we're here. We say it a million times, our numbers everywhere, all over our website. It's in all the documentation. It's in the manual. It's every call us, please call us. You're not, you're not bothering us. It's what we want, you know? Um, and so our customer, you know, water once a day, take about 20 minutes to do LST about halfway through. Yeah. That's pretty much it. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. really- it's a more simple process than, uh, than it used to be where you had to call about eight different friends who had a little bit of knowledge who had tried to grow before themselves and try to piece together what was, <laughs> what to really do and what not there's to do. There's so many variables. <laughs> See, the thing is, there's so, normally when so you just many. Grow, so many variables. Oh, you don't have enough cal- uh, calcium. You have yeah. not enough magnesium, too much nitrogen, phosphorus, uh, you know, your pH of the water, pH of the soil, the light, the... Uh, you know, just, uh, the temperatures, humidity, this, that, that all, all these things. Um, and it's overwhelming. And most people fail the first time they get tr- little Charlie Brown Christmas trees. They burn the plants or they just have some like sickly little yellow thing never goes anywhere. And blah, blah. It's, it, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of problem. You're on your own. You're spending hours and hours researching, trying to figure things out. Cause like you blue plants a little yellow. Well, it could be because you've overwatered it. It could be because you've underwatered it. Those are the best. Cause like, all right, well then which is it? You know, you, well, you've either overwatered it, underwatered it, or it doesn't have as a nitrogen deficiency, or it's got a, you know, yeah. it, it's like, they're like every, every symptom has four different things it could possibly be. And they're all completely different, you know? And it's like, so it is complicated for us because it's a full kit. It's not like we're trying to support every random like 10 of all different sizes, every light. Right. You've got a controlled environment. A controlled environment. And then we also re-engineered our process for growing. We didn't, we didn't just do it the traditional way. We've kind of re-engineered and simplified because we also know the whole environment and we know what we can get away with. We've right. been able to take shortcuts and do things. And we've set up a whole system and ecosystem where basically it turns into well, just water it once a day. It's not a full-blown automated systems. We've said from day one and we've been proven right so far, the full-blown automated systems just don't work. They just don't work. Um, you can't automate nature. Okay. Yeah. So plants, is, the plants need a little love. They need to feel your energy. 
It's, they all do different things. <laughs> I, I say all the time, I have, I have two kids. They're twins, twins, born on the same day, the same, you know, they, they're from, from the same, they have the same DNA, right? The same, from the same parents. They're twins. One is short and chunkier. One's tall and thin. One's athletic. One's not. One's like, they, they're just they're different people. Plants are the same thing. Just because you got the same seeds, you can open seeds from the same mother. You got three seeds in a packet and one of them will just do some weird thing. It'll grow taller than the others or it's genetics. It's it. You can't just automate it. Sometimes they grow out funny. They do weird things or whatever. So our, our cannabis tech is it's, it's, um, it's a, a nurturing, a technology assisted nurturing system. So we've got all the tech and the systems and processes but at the end of the day, it's you're putting eyes on the plant. You water it once a day. When you're watering it, gives you a chance to, to, to futz it a little bit if you want, and, and we're done. But it's not just to set it and forget it and walk away. Yeah. If you're not willing to at least do that, you just need to go to the store and buy it and not be a, gro- a grower. I mean, and there yeah, you go. Have at it. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. How has how has how has the recent last couple of years and especially now with the supply chain issues has any of that how uh, Im- impacted uh, your business uh, yeah you raise your eyes I see it <laughs> of course it has it absolutely has so it's we we've had impacts and 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 it's this whole industry is maddening right um, in in and of itself and I say oh, I tell people all the time. Um, you know, starting and running a business, like a small business is, is hard. Okay. Like if you have an entrepreneur, if you're, if you're a great bricklayer and now you're going to go off on your own and start your own bricklaying company, setting up the business, the regulations and all the licenses you need, and then hiring people and managing people and paying payroll and the taxes and the, there's just so, you know, and you got to set up, get a credit card merchant account to take credit cards from your customers. You got to, and all the accounting and all the stuff that Running a small business is hard. It's not just, I'm just going to go out and lay bricks every day, but I'm doing it for myself and keeping all the money. It's it's hard. There's all this overhead and all these regulations. And there's always someone busting your chops over some, you didn't get this license or that license or whatever and state things. So I, I have to deal with it every day. I get stuff like has nothing to do with me, nothing that we ever created, but, but comes at me. I, I get things like um, um, uh, I had one at the state level. The state was like, oh, you didn't you didn't file your taxes in in 2014 and 15. I'm like, we didn't exist in 2014, 15. Like, what are you talking about? Look, and I have to show them. And they're like, oh, yeah, I see our incorporation. This is the date we incorporated. And they're like, oh, okay, All right. I'll fix it in the system. But you just get sucked into this bureaucratic stuff that like there's not even anything we've done in this industry. um, Being in cannabis, it's just all of that is your basic anti to play. If you want to start a small business in the cannabis industry, it's all that plus it's, it's just now, at least if, if you started a restaurant, you don't live in fear of walking in one day to open and finding out that you don't have a merchant account anymore. You can't, your POS register is turned off. Okay. Cannabis. Yeah. You, you walk in and it's happened to me. It's happened to me more than once where we just come in, it's a normal day. And all of a sudden you find out, um, like we were at one point where we were using EVO payments for our, for our credit card processing on our website. And one day we get a, a, a shutdown notice on a Tuesday. I'll never forget this on a Tuesday. I get a shutdown. Keep, notice. Keep in mind, you're not even touch uh, your company. It doesn't even touch the plant just for listeners. Plant. I mean, your business doesn't touch the plant at all in any way at any time. Exactly. I'm not plant touching. I'm not <laughs> actually a cannabis industry. Uh, uh, you know, th- th- this should be, this should be all non-issue. Everything I do is, is normal. Yeah. All 50 States, 
you know, I sell blocks of wood, right? I sell little storage yeah. boxes and stuff, right? Um, and I walk in one day on a Tuesday, um, and and I know it was a Tuesday that because they they I got a shutdown notice, and and it said, but we know it'll take you a little while to get a merchant account, so we're giving you till Friday. I'm like, you gave me three days. It takes two, three weeks to get a merchant. You have to go through all these applications and then there's yeah. underwriting and there's all this. It's like, it's almost like a mini version of getting a mortgage. I mean, you now you have to submit your last three, three months of bank statements, the last three months of your prior processing, merchant processing statements. They want to see chargebacks. They want to see history. They want to see, and there's all this just shit you have to do. Um, it take and, and then it goes through underwriting and all that. It takes two, three weeks to get a merchant account. They're like, they were like, oh, we'll, but we'll give you to the end of the week. You gave me three days. Okay. So I start scrambling. I call them up. I'm like, what is this? What, why? What did we do? Can I appeal this? And they're like, oh, it has nothing to do with you. They shut off 3,000 merchants that day. 3,000 merchants. The reason was because that company, EVO payments, I have no problem calling them out on this. EVO payments. They um, one day they decided the company they want to sell. They want to sell to another big bank or whatever. Right. They want to clean up. They don't want like any high risk merchant accounts or whatever. So anything tobacco related, anything. They had adult novelties, tobacco that had all these categories and they just want to clean up and just have just purged. <laughs> you know, and they purged literally shut off. It was over three, three thousand something, thirty two hundred, thirty four hundred merchants. Like that, you shut off. You've done nothing wrong. Doesn't matter. You shut off. My whole website is dead. I'm like, I'm dead. I can't sell anything. I have, you know, you're an e-com site. Guess what? You're not selling anything now. Okay. I scrambled. We were down for a week because now I had to put it into hyperdrive. They gave me three days. So I had up through to Friday. Of course, all our business happens over the weekend. So they shut me off on a Friday where most of our business is Saturday and Sunday, you know, Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. People get paid and then they go online to shop at, you know, this is right. personal stuff, not business. Yeah. They don't do it on a Wednesday in the middle of the day. Um, so, so weekends now they got paid and now they have leisure time over the weekend and then they're buying smoking accessories and stuff, right? So they shut me down on a Friday um, and it took me a whole nother week. And then I finally got back up and running about Three or four weeks later, I get a call. Hi, this is Scott from EVO Payments. How are you? And I'm like, <clears throat> I've been better, but why? What's up? You know, and he's he's like, well, hey, I we saw that you used to be a customer. We want your business back. Oh, the automated call. <laughs> no, it wasn't an automated call. It was a guy. It was Scott. And and I yeah. talked to him. And I'm like, and I was I was pretty cranky. And I'm like, really? You you want my business back? You're the ones who shut us off. I go, okay, yeah. They had gone through with their sale and the new owners were like, no, 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 no. We want these accounts. All these accounts got purged. See, what happened was, I guess what they were doing is they were trying to go through a sale and they had, they were negotiating. They had a couple of different buyers and they were trying to keep all their stuff clean. They wanted it because they had different, different yeah. buyers. The one that bought that ended up, they did the deal, consummated the deal. And then they're like, no, we want all this business back. I'm like, it's a little late. I yeah. am not with them anymore. I'm like, you screwed me. You threw me under the bus. Do you think I'm coming back? So first this of all, and second of all, I've made other arrangements. Do you think I've been sitting around for the last month with no processing because they, well, maybe they'll call me back. No, like I moved on. <laughs> yeah. This is why people don't trust. I mean, no other business before they sell could get away with just burning some of its history of its client base in order to make that sell and, and get away with it in such a manner. I mean, it's why people don't trust the banks. It's why, you know, big corporate. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. 30, 
400, I think, or something like that, 3,200 or 3,400 merchants just mercilessly just shut off, pulled the rug out from under them. And I remember when I, so when I was applying, they're like, oh, we're all backed up. It's going to take, you know, normally, like I found one guy, like, we can normally do these in three to five days, we get, you know, post eight, but it's like, we're all back, underings all backed up. There's been a flood of applications. Yeah, because EVO, and they say it, like, yeah, we know what's going on in the industry. EVO payments just shut off 3,400 merchants. You have 3,400 merchants all scrambling, oh my God, I need an account now. And they've done nothing wrong. Their processing history is fine. Ours was all clean. It wasn't about us. Yeah. But that's the stuff you face in this industry. If you're in a, if you're a restaurant, they're not like, oh, we don't want restaurants anymore. You know what I mean? That's not a thing. If you were a restaurant, you know, you just sign up for the merchant account. And 20 years later, you, you don't have to worry about that. That's setup stuff. Yeah. For, for I me, this I is- want to do it twice. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things. I th- again, I think where the industry has to find some balance is because we the industry does face these kind of challenges and the desire. And look, I'm I'm a I, I'm from the culture. Like, I want to find ways for boutique growers to survive in the industry and small time operators to survive in the industry. But I think we need to be realistic that it's very difficult for somebody that maybe has never owned a business before to come into this industry and maybe not even be that well capitalized and think that they're going to be able to successfully navigate all the challenges that are going to come their way. Everybody. Yeah. One of the things is with with the early days of legalization, I've seen it macro and micro where what you're talking about, that, that thinking of like, I'm going to open a pot shop and I'm going to make, I mean, I mean, I would like to have my own license and have my own everything as well, but you know, it's like millions and millions of dollars. It, it takes millions of dollars. Even the smallest, just retail only, where you're not trying to do the cultivation and the grow and the yeah. full vertically and trade, but even just retail only still takes well north of a million dollars to, to 2 million minimum. Yep. You have to do, I mean, there's the build out the, and, and there's what one thing that people don't realize there's build outs there. There's just so much stuff you have to do, but also the licensing requirements are uh, because they're so strict and they're, and it's so heavily like they, you know, they don't want this running amok. They know like, all right, let's go cautiously. And all Slow. Stuff. Yeah. That, that what one of the things is like location, like you can't be within so many yards of a, of a park or so many yards of a school or so many yards of a this or a that or that. So then it, it really limits the zoning of where you can actually go in a particular town. It sounds like, sure, you can put them here. Great. Except there's no place in town that actually meets the criteria or the one that does, but it's zone residential only, you know, or, or whatever, you know, or it's zone mixed use residential commercial. So if you had a little hair salon and you lived upstairs in a two family kind of thing, you know, in the hair salon downstairs, but you can't put a pot shop there. It has to be commercial, not, not, not hybrid, you know, whatever. So they have, you have to, you might have to petition the city to, to tweak the zoning. Like there's no reason this couldn't be zone commercial, but you have to apply for that because it wasn't and blah, blah, blah. And all that stuff you have to go through. And you have to get your location, apply for the zone because you can't get your license. You have to show them exactly where you're going to be. And you can't show them exactly where you're going to be if it's not zoned right, if you haven't. So what's one of the things that the upshot of all this, and I've watched it over and over and over again, these new dispensaries opening with the same story of, yeah, so I had to hire people. I've had to, I'm paying rent now. I'm paying all this. I've been paying rent for six months and I still don't have my license, my occupancy license. You may not even be the one selected. If they're doing four licenses for a town and there's 20 people that apply, guess what? The rest of those 20 have just invested a couple million, at least a million dollars probably in that application process. And they're not going to (laughs) win. 
No other business is asked to do this. <laughs> no other industry. Yeah, exactly. So like, and I watch it, like there's a dispensary behind me, uh, a few streets back behind me that uh, my office um, that was like, I remember talking to the owner, you know, we sell the dispensaries, they sell our grinders and rolling trays and all that stuff. And I remember talking to him like, Hey, you know, you're, you're, when are you, when are you opening, you know, when do you think you're opening? And he's like, well, we're all done, you know, and I had to do training and I have like, like we could like, we're supposed to, we're supposed to open like, uh, you know, Wednesday or whatever, but, but we didn't get on the city, the city council docket. They bumped us. So now it's going to be, we're just waiting to get approval from the city to open. We don't have the final, you know, life, uh, uh, town license. So, um, we're just waiting on that. So we got bumped to next month. Well, we thought we were opening Wednesday and then all of a sudden we were on the docket, but they didn't get to the, the, the they didn't finish everything. And then, and then they adjourned the meeting and we, they pushed the rest out to, to, to next month. So it goes, I've hired people. I'm paying salaries. I'm, pay, I'm paying people to sit around. Like now there's, I got put off a month. I have another month of payroll times, you know, 20 people. I got, you know, whatever, $50,000 a month of payroll or whatever it is I've got. You know, I'm paying rent on the building. I'm paying all this stuff. And we just got pushed off again. And we just, it's a whole nother month. I think, I think, you know, they were burning like 50 to hundred grand a month waiting to get on the docket. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I don't, I also, th I also think a lot of city officials, one, one thing that we, I have a lot of conversation about that they, they don't fully grasp is that when, when they're looking at their ordinance creation and their zoning for their, for their cities, and they're looking at those maps, they look at the zones, and then they have to really look at all what they are defining as sensitive uses, as well as um, how those sensitive uses are measured, and then obviously what the distances are. And then when you extrapolate and put all that into that map, and you see what's left, and say there's there's a hundred properties in your city, maybe that qualify, that, that, would, that would be allowable, that are correctly zoned and have no buffer issues. But nevertheless, there might be only 20 of those that are owned by somebody that might even be willing to do business with it. And of those 20, there might only be 10 that are even actually available on the market, you know, otherwise or, or the rest being occupied by other businesses. And so a lot of times it even really puts a, a, a constraint on the real estate market, really inflating the numbers on what applicants are paying for real estate on leases in particular during this waiting period time where it's like, you know, the real estate, I mean, I've seen the real estate market jump many, many times over when they find out that they are a cannabis oh, yeah. zoned, zoned property. <laughs> and we, we euphemistically call it the cannabis tax, right? Um, in the industry um, that like that, you have a property, you want to put in a hair salon, you know, you want to go buy a small, a little building to put in a hair salon and it's a, uh, whatever, it's $150,000 building, you know, like, Oh, you want to put in a dispensary. Now it's a $300,000 building. I'm like, the, yep. you know, it's, it's the cannabis tax. Oh, you want to do that rents. Oh, you want to, you want to rent from me? Yeah. Oh, you're putting in a dispensary. Oh, it's going to be 10 grand a month. But the, the hair salon guy was paying too. You know, it's like, everything is jacked. This is a way, this is a way I really think like if, if we have more, conversations about it within the industry, I feel like these are ways where we could actually tackle some of the things that are creating the barriers of entry to smaller people, to smaller operators. Like if we figure out a way to do this land use more, more intelligently, 
um, you know, it could really lessen some barriers and make it to where maybe you don't have to have two or $3 million to, to get an application in and, and get going. Um, that being said, it, you know, I understand from a municipality's perspective why they would want to know exactly what property you're going to ahead of time as well. So again, it's, it's, I think finding balance somewhere in there in those discussions. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, so there's a lot, the, the industry is invigorating, exciting. Um, it's new. There's all this innovation. There's all this stuff going on, but it's also maddening as hell because everything is just more expensive. Everything is harder. Everything is, yeah. you have to, I, 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 um, I, I, uh, tongue in cheek, I have my, uh, Robichaux's laws, you know, and, and Robichaux's third law is you have to do everything two and three times to accomplish anything. <laughs> you can't just go do something. You have to do something right. and then it's like, oh, but it gets kicked back. And then you have to reapply. You have to do something. You have to do, you have to, you have to go and do things like three times to get anything done. Yep. And it's exhausting, you know, whereas other industries, it's just all rubber stamp. You know, if you're opening a hair salon, oh, I'm doing this. And I go, okay, great. Boom, boom. Yeah, here's your license. Here you go. Like, oh, wait, wait, your cannabis. Oh, well, uh, well, you got to go get this. You got to go get that. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got, you know, extra stuff. You know, it's, it's just yeah. everything's more difficult. Your bank accounts. Oh, you have a cannabis company? hundred bucks a month, you know, free yeah. checking. But, oh, hundred bucks a month. You have a cannabis company. Just, Everything, the cannabis tax, everything is just labeled on. Yeah, for um, sure. And then, you know, it's also, you got the little guy who um, wants to buy a, a building and, uh, to, you know, for a dispensary, gets the right zoning and all that stuff, goes to the bank. The bank's like, oh, you're putting a dispensary in? I can't, I can't do lending. Right, right. So then, yeah, so then. It's, everything's private, uh, private funding at this point. So then, so then you got to go to all, all alternative lending sources and then now you're not paying 3%, you're paying 7%. Or you've got a new business partner. <laughs> right, you know. Uh, Vinny the nose, you know. <laughs> your new, uh, your new uh, business yeah. partner, you know, it's like. Uh, you were, so, yeah, good. I was going to say you were, you were talking earlier about, about uh, the vape ban affecting your ability to ship there for a little while. How, how, what is the current status of, of shipping product across the States right now? I know that obviously you're not a cannabis touching the plant touching uh, business. None of your products are, are plant touching. Um, but even here out in California, there's talk about interstate commerce. I was in a meeting the other day um, for the tri-state area that was talking about interstate commerce being being mentioned. Um, so I guess my question is twofold a little bit. One, what is, have you heard anything about interstate commerce progress there? Um, and two, what is what is the current status for like non-cannabis touching products to be shipped throughout the country? Sure, sure. Okay, so so taking them um, the plant stuff, uh, plant touching interstate commerce. There's a lot of talk about that going on, and there is a lot of talk. I believe, and this is just my personal opinion, um, we're really far off on that. I think that that is that yeah. is the least priority down at the bottom of the list of everything else. That you're not going to get interstate commerce going before it's <laughs> before legalization. Legalization's got to come first, and right. that goes back to everything else we talked about about the politics and taking forever and all that stuff. So I think we have a lot of hurdles. Um, I believe that um, it's kind of like you know the the the, the analogy to the watch pot waiting to boil kind of thing that when you in some respects, when you look backwards, you're like, wow, we've come so far so fast. But on the other hand, when you're looking forward, it's like, this is taking forever. <laughs> right. So there's a little bit of that, you know, 
it's it's uh, like Schrodinger's legalization, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 things are moving quick. You know, if you look backwards, you're like, wow, like well, we have 38 or states now that have some form of legal pot and, blah, blah, blah. and all the stuff has just been in the last five or 10 years. And like so from from a statistical analysis and all this stuff, like it's the fastest, one of the fastest growing industries in modern history, um, you know, blah, 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 backwards looking. But when you're looking forwards, it's because that backwards look does not really take into account. It does not account for the pain factor of the pain and, and what you went through and the hurdles you had to jump through and what the costs of that progress have been. Um, but uh, when you're looking forward, it's like, this is taking forever. Cause you're, cause you're baking in that, like that the costs of like that continuing without legalization and all the, you know, the hassles and problems and the costs of that. Um, and so I think the interstate commerce just personally, you know, unless there's something new that I, I'm not aware of some new breakthrough or something, but I really think that I think that it will happen. The, the industry will mature. We will get legalization. If you just fast forward 10 years and then you turn around and look backwards, right. I think, you know, 10 years, 15 years, whatever, I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we got to legalization. Um, we um, um, and I think the best way, by the way, just, to, you know, without going down a rabbit hole, but a little tangent. Um, I do think the best way of doing it is not trying to um, legalize and regulate the federal level. I think the best thing to do is just decriminalize it, take it off schedule and just say, make it a state's issue and let the states handle it. I, I would agree. And honestly, the conversations out here are very much centered, uh, are starting to go in that direction where they think it's going to be a state's action if they can just get it decriminalized. Right. Just decriminalize. Um, just, just have the feds take no position. It's just don't make it federally illegal. And just, now you have your baby banking, you have it, whatever, decriminalize it, take it off schedule one, and then leave it up to the individual states and they'll, and they'll, they want or they don't, or whatever they want to do, medicinal or rec or whatever, let the states manage it. And then let the states have all the regulatory frameworks and all that, just like driver's licenses and, you know, vehicle operation and things like that. It's not at a federal level. Feds don't have any regulations. All right, whatever. It's up to the states. You guys figure it out. Right. Right. And let the states figure out, you know, let them do the licensing and the regulation and all that stuff. Um, and so that's the, that's the best, fastest, easiest way to get it done. You know, don't try to create frameworks and regulations. Just be like, eh, not my problem. Kick the can down the road to the states and let them figure it out. Um, and most of the states already have figured it out or have or are in the process yeah. of and they have systems and processes. And so let the Fed just go, you guys figure it out. So it's like, OK, we got this. Thanks. Um, they would. Yeah. So I think that'll all happen. And I think once that all happens and we have legalization or at least not illegal anymore, um, that um We'll have interstate commerce and all that stuff. But right now, forward looking, there's there's like, you know, three or four other um, uh, prerequisites that, that that have to fall first. I, I, I think in interstate commerce, just personally, is, is a ways off. Um, I think it would be difficult for so many, such new markets to entertain the thought of uh, I could see it happening here before the East Coast just because of the market maturation. But potentially you're, you're potentially right. Um the I don't have an opinion on that. You could be right. Yeah. Um, could go either way. But the uh, now, as far as us with ancillary products and accessories, um, the and by the way, I always uh, I, I made a, a, a pronouncement within our company, and I try to push it out everywhere. Um, is that uh, we call them ancillary products or smoking accessories? I don't say paraphernalia. Drug paraphernalia yeah. to me is heroin needles, and you know, not good. Um, so it's accessories and ancillary yes. products. Um, Rebranding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, uh, well, just trying to be more accurate with it. It's it's breaking. It's breaking that stereotype. It's just the same way that we were talking earlier that people use cannabis for health and wellness more than I mean, I know 
admittedly growing up when I was living in an area where it was illegal, I probably knew more stoners than I knew of people who used it for health and wellness. But in a legal market, the vast majority of people are not stoners. They are people that are professionals. Like you said, you work all day, you do your thing, but you use it for this aspect. Uh, yeah. You use it for this particular aspect of, of your lifestyle for health and wellness. Oh, and so many people I know, um, um, autism, um, and, um, and um, just general, like like ADHD and lots of anxiety, that it works better than you know pharmaceuticals. Um, they have all these other baggage of side effects and stuff, and that um, allows people to be functional. You know, people that like have massive super anxiety, and then you know we microdose and and you know manage. You know, so um, it's it absolutely um, for us in the ancillary market. Um, just, you know, so, but I always make that little pitch that, that it's kind of like, you know, we, in the industry with cannabis, it's cannabis, it's not marijuana, it's cannabis. Exactly. Um, and so accessories are the same analogy. Um, I also try to even, I've even tried to go away from the word dispensary just because it's, it's, it, if we want to normalize it to people, it's a retail store, just like any other retail store, you know? Right. Absolutely. So, so yeah, words matter kind of thing. It's all, yeah. you know, so I would say, so, so, uh, but to answer your question, um, there's no issue shipping cross state lines, right? It's just, it's just hard goods. It's just, you know, it's like anything else. Like you can buy this stuff on Amazon, whatever, you know, it's, it's the issue is specifically vape. You can't, it's illegal to make, to, to, to mail. You can't mail and, and UPS and FedEx got on board and, and backed it. So it's like, you don't you can't even go like a UPS or a FedEx. So there's literally like no good way to ship Certainly not to consumer. You can do your own private like LTL freight and have your own truck, you know, private carrier on a truck. Bring bring like vapes like in volume. Right. Um, but uh, that only works if you're doing in volume to a retail location. You're just selling them out of the retail location. Right. Um, but for someone like us, where we're distributing, we're shipping them to stores and stuff like like, you know, that's fine to get a pallet load or whatever, you know, in via an LTL truck or whatever to our warehouse. But getting those out to the stores, unless you're doing personal private deliveries, but we ship all over the country, you know, and if it's going to end users, like we have a website, we have a retail website. Um, We don't compete with our with our wholesale customers. We're always at maximum MSRP plus shipping, you know, so we're always going to be more expensive. Um, But um, but like when we have people that are in markets where we just don't have stores that, that carry our products and, you know, well, where can I find this in Omaha, Nebraska? I'm like, ah, we don't have a store in Omaha, Nebraska. You know, so, well, we have our website. So people can come to our website and buy stuff. Uh, if we're shipping to, to consumer, that's U.S. mail. How am I, I, I can't ship a vape. So for us, it's really hurt us because it's hurt our sales. Because I had, the, my vape products were my most popular item. Now, is this just the cart that's going to contain the oil or is this the battery as well? Everything, everything, anything related to vaping. So it's the empty carts, it's um, it's the batteries, it's coils, it's anything related to vaping devices. It's vaping devices and related accessories and components and parts. It's, the, it's everything. So a battery, a, a, an empty, a vape card, a, a, you know, magnetic adapters that just go to it. Like, like it's just a magnetic yeah. piece of metal, you know, like everything, everything related to all that. Um, and you can't ship them. You can't ship them legally. So we've stopped when we ran, we ran out of inventory and I haven't been making more. I stopped. And, and it was one of our best sellers. 
And like I talked about that drafting, like, you know, so they come to our website to buy the vape and then they'll grab a bong while they're there or they'll grab a sifter box or a grinder too, or, a, or other ancillary accessories. Like, you know, they grab the vape, but they'll also get extra cartridges or, and well, now they're not coming for the vapes. They're not buying the other, you know, it's like, it's, it's hurt our sales. And I don't, I don't see, honestly, I don't see any good reason for it. I don't see, I, I think that the reasons for, for clamping down were, dual pods to teenagers and nicotine. Yeah. But the statistics are heavily showing that if, if it were, where, where legal access is, there is a, a fairly significant decrease in, in youth use because, and, and I know that talking with, you know, law enforcement in different municipalities, you know, the data is still coming in because it's such a new industry, but for many of them, they do feel like it has, it's not the answer by itself, but having legal access in a community through regulated stores um, or delivery or whatever it might be is a way to help shrink that illicit market. Because ultimately, if you give people and again, it comes down to taxes as well, because you have to do do have to somewhat compete with the illicit market. If if you're charging thirty dollars more for a jar for, for an eighth of flour than the street dealer is, people a lot of people are still going to go to that street dealer. But if we can figure out a way to make it affordable, most people are going to make that safer choice and they're going to go to that market and they're going to eventually shrink the market base of or the consumer base of those illicit operators and those you know street dealers, so to speak. Right, right. The street dealers start, they just move, they, they give it up and move on to other things and, and right. that market shrinks and then the, the kids don't have as easy access. Um, the other thing is you get more education around it. Yep. And the other thing too is there's also the, um, the uh, it's more of a psychological thing, but there's that sort of like rebel factor. It's just like, um, if, you look at, if you look at the demographics of Facebook right now, Facebook started off, it was a college campus, right? Thing. Yep. Um, and, and it was, I can remember when Facebook, you had to have a college email address to even have an account. Right. Exactly. Right. And, and it was all the college kids were on there and everything and, and blah, 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 blah. Today, kids don't want to be caught dead. It's all parents on it now. It's all, it's all, <laughs> it's, it's skewed. It's all old generation. And that's why like Instagram and the other things have exploded and they and, and Facebook is becoming a dinosaur now. Because all the kids flock to TikTok and Instagram and other things, they get that 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 high engagement, high energy usage from the from the from the youth, you know, that that don't have full time jobs and have more times on their hands and are posting dribble and whatever, and you know, and and are doing TikToks and, and and Instagram and things like that. And Facebook has become the parents, and the kids don't want to be on it because mom and dad are on that now, and you know, and it, and now Facebook is all skewed skewed older. You know, yeah. the kids don't want to be on it. They don't want to be on it. They, they're not kids on it. When I go on Facebook, they're, they're all people my age, like all, all the, my, the kid, my kids don't use it. Yeah. You know, my, my kids are yeah. 23. And actually today's their birthday. They're, they're, I have twins. They're 23. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, they're not on Facebook. They have yeah. an account. They don't use it. They're yeah. on Instagram. They're on Snapchat. They're on TikTok or whatever, but they're, they're, they're not on Facebook. 
I think that's why we see Facebook trying to pivot a bit, though, you know, trying to pivot to meta, trying to well, they've obviously bought Instagram. So, I mean, they're right. And because they see that they, they, they're not stupid and they, they, they see the demographics, the, the shifting demographics and all that stuff. My point is, I think that's analogous to this market. It's, it's like when, when you have pot shops everywhere and there's education and all this stuff and mom and dad are smoking and buying it legal and all that stuff. It's not cool and rebellious anymore. Right. Ah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think I think you know what you find is when the, with the legal market, because what you said, it squashes the illicit illicit market, which is where the kids are getting it. If the illicit market shrinks and goes and goes away or or radically shrinks, and all you have is the legal market now, kids can't buy in stores. So now they don't they they lose access to it, yeah. first of all. And then second of all, it's also just not cool anymore because mom and dad smoke and whatever. Now now it's like, okay, whatever. It's not as cool anymore. It's yeah, not all rebellious. Not- that's the uh, that's the cure to anything with kids. Uh, just have the parents uh, adopt it. <laughs> right, right. And then it's like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, so that's what I'm saying. Just like Facebook, the parents are all over Facebook now and kids are like, all right, we move on. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Um, but uh, but yeah, for us, it's the big problem we have. We have no problem shipping cross state lines with any of the accessories except vape. And we just stopped selling them. Like, how am I supposed to do this? And it kills me. Like, I keep thinking about it. I keep ruminating on it. It's like, Maybe not daily, but certainly weekly. Like, you know, should we, you know, should we just keep making vapes and like just do like, you know, try to do just more like private LTL shipments to the stores? I'm like, but there's just like I don't want to be making all this hardware and then I'm sitting on it because yeah. my channels for moving it are closed. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, we can't sell it on the website. We can't. I'm like, it, you know, I could I could sell it wholesale to stores, but then it limits only high volume that want to do private, you know, like LTL shipments and stuff like the little guys, like we have a lot of them in the stores. It's like, all right, give me two of this for the, you know, they, they might cobble together a, a decent order, but it's like, give me two of these for the, and we'll just ship. And then it's just a UPS or a, or a US mail. I can't have vapes in there. Right. You know, and, and the penalties and the fines are such that I just don't want to go there. I don't, no. I don't want to say, ah, so what, just, just ship them and whatever. And whatever. cause all it takes is one issue. And, and the penalties are, are, you know, I'm, I can't afford like, you know, get, get slapped with million dollar fines and stuff like that, you know, per incident and all this stuff yeah. like, Oh, you shipped a thousand, 10,000, whatever babe. And it's a thousand dollars per incident. You know, here's your million dollar fine. I just yeah. put me out of business. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not worth it. Do you ever being, being a, a somewhat, you know, heavily online business to some, to a large extent, do you have issues with marketing uh, your company or, or the products? Absolutely. Absolutely. As I'm telling you, everything in this business is harder. Um, yeah, so sure. all day long. And, and what really kills me is um, it's an, everybody finds spam emails. Like everybody finds spam annoying. Okay. Everybody finds ads annoying. Everybody finds spam annoying. Take it to the next level where it's like insult to injury, rubbing salt in the wound. Imagine getting all this spam and and you couldn't even respond to it anyway, because you can't (laughs) do it. Okay. All day long. And you've probably seen it. If you use Facebook at all, you see like everybody in the world is selling some kind of course. They all have like, like selling a course and all that. All right. Well, the other thing is if you do anything in business, you're hammered on Facebook and in emails and all the stuff with 
Like, let us help you make your improve your Facebook ads or your Google ads. You want to sell more? We're, we're like, I must get 20, and I am not exaggerating, at least 20 a day, every single day of all these just random people just spam emailing me about like, let us help you with your Facebook ads. Let us help you with the Google ads. Let me help you with the fact that I can't run Facebook or Google ads. Google ads. None. Those are the two primary. Like if you ask anybody, digital marketing today, you're going to market online, e-commerce store. What are your, what are your biggest ad uh, uh, opportunities? Facebook and Google are your two biggest by far. They're like 90% of, the, of your market is, is those two. Neither one of them will do anything related. And, and I, again, I'm not plant touching. I'm not selling weed. I'm not a dispensary. Yeah but it doesn't matter. I can't sell it. Just like Amazon. Amazon has delisted almost all of our products by this point. Like we were selling shitloads of pipes and, and it, without fail, like they have some kind of in, intuitive radar that is always when I restock the day I got 10,000 lipstick pipes and they shut off my lipstick pipe, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm selling like a thousand a week on Amazon, a thousand a week. Wow. Okay. And I'm selling Three, not thousand, but just three. I'm selling three a month on my website. I was like, it's just all the, I'm buying wow. this for Amazon. This is an Amazon like skew. Okay. Right. Uh, we had certain skews that they're Amazon skews. Like they don't sell big at stores. They don't sell big in retail. They don't sell it, but there's just demand on Amazon. And we just, it's an Amazon skew. And, and it's weird. We have some things that don't sell on Amazon. We sell tons of them elsewhere and vice versa. So we have this Amazon only kind of skew. And the day I reordered, I get 10,000 in, they shut off the listing. That was five years ago. And I still have lipstick pipes in my warehouse. You know, it's like, we're slowly selling them down, but you know, it's like, all right, you know, 10,000, gee, I've only got 9,000 left now. You know, it's like I, yeah. I had, and they did it with one product after another, after like, it's always the day I get a whole resupply and then they shut us off. We've gotten to the point where 90% of our catalog is shut off and it doesn't make sense. And it's just because, well, our offline market, we don't drive any traffic into Amazon. We're not marketing wheat stuff and driving it in. We do no traffic into Amazon. We just sell with their existing demand. Okay. Right. They shut off our syringes. We sell blunt tip syringes for just filling oil cartridges. Mm. Right. That's why our people would buy them. However, it's a medical device. It's a medical syringe. There are thousands of them being sold on Amazon in the medical category, the exact same products. Okay. The whole, they, they, and the, like, if it's, um, what is it? Um, I forget the name, Kimberly something, whatever, uh, the, the company that does all the medical supply stuff. Um, uh, I forget their name now, but, um, but like if they're sell, they can sell the same syringe because they're a medical device company. Mm -hmm. They can sell that same syringe. So a customer goes and searches for syringe, can buy that, get it, and then use it to fill their oils, right? But because we sell smoke shop accessories, if I sell that same syringe, it's gotten shut off. Oh, this is your, your, your this is for for weed. I'm like, just because of who I am as a company. But on Amazon, a customer searches, finds a device, and buys it. They don't. They're not coming to me. They don't. They're not driven by me. They have not. What? How I? What I sell to? Who I sell to? What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Has absolutely yeah. nothing to do with anything, but they're like, yeah. oh, you sell that stuff. So they shut it off. The same thing that's already being sold. I've had Amazon, we were selling grinders. Amazon started selling the same grinder. Amazon does this to literally everybody. 
predatory. I hate it's the worst because it's everybody's small business that's growing wants to get on Amazon to sell more volume. And as soon as you get on Amazon, if you have an item that's hitting, they will copy it and just make their own version of it and then put it above you in every single page. I mean, that literally actually, once they open up, it's the same thing China does to us. (laughs) It it should be illegal. It really should. It should be. It's insider trading. Like what they're doing is like they bring you in and then they screw you over because they have access to all the data. They can watch all the data and they go, oh, this is selling really well. Then they introduce their own. They kill all my sales. And then, then insult to injury, my grinder gets delisted. They're like, oh, there's a drug paraphernalia. I'm like, you're selling. Like this was one, we don't do this anymore, but way back when, like I told you, we started with slingshot rubber chickens and things like that. Right. So I had like our own grinders that we designed and our own brand and stuff. But then I was also selling some just novelty grinders that we were just buying and reselling. They weren't ours. We don't have those anymore. Now everything, we're a brand, you know, we've evolved, we're a brand, everything's ours. Um, but, but back in the day, we had in, in the trans, transitory phase, we had our own branded products, but then we we're still just reselling other things that are just popular and whatever. Um, so we were selling a, a, a grinder and um, and they saw it. They stepped in. They started selling it. Then they shut my listing off. They said, oh, this is this is drug paraphernalia. I'm like, you're selling it. <laughs> the irony of all this is that it's from what I've been reading is that I understand Amazon and Bezos are now like pushing for legislation to be able to sell cannabis on Amazon. I mean, it's that's the irony of it is that everybody's against it until they can make their money on it and then they're all for it. And that's the frustrating part, which is what really concerns me in the long run is the way the industry's developing. You know, I again, it's like we've talked, it, it is about finding a balance. It can't stay purely cultural the way it always has been in, in the shadows, but we also, you know, I think a lot of people are, are concerned about it just being taken over by corporate greed and, and big companies as well. Right, right. Absolutely. And and, and there's going to be consolidation that's going to happen. If you look at even in the, the, the software game, you know, um, you know, Microsoft has because of their cash cow with MS-DOS back in the day, they did a licensing deal. They, they, their whole launch was because they did the licensing deal with IBM. They got a bucket unit royalties. IBM signed off on that because IBM had been in a history of putting out models and sunsetting them. They figured the IBM PC was like a three to five year thing. They come out with some other models. So like they, they, they obsolete things come out with something new. You have system 360. Oh, now we have the AS400. Oh, now we have, you know, oh, now we have, you know, and they were like, ah, oh, there's a three to five year cycle. We're going to sell a handful of these things. They figured they'd probably sell, you know, 50,000 or something or whatever. And so like, sure, we'll give you a buck a piece, whatever, fine. But then the whole PC clone, because it was a clone, you know, off the shelf parts. And then you had Dell building them in his, in his dorm room and all that. The whole industry exploded. Next thing you know, no, there's millions and millions and millions and hundreds of millions of these things being sold. Over, and they're getting a buck a piece. And they just had this cash cow flooding in, <laughs> um, you know, millions of units being sold. And they're getting a buck on every one. Now, all of a sudden, it's really not hard um, to be successful when you have people just throwing money at your feet on a licensing deal that you did, you know. It's not, it's not about what we're doing today. It's about all oh, the people throwing money at, you know, like, and they were like, you know, nine people, 10 people like, wow, and you have millions of dollars coming in. So, you know, things like, um, um, and I, I always said it, like I, I made my living programming on Microsoft platforms and Microsoft software, but I had no illusions. I mean, it was like, like Microsoft really never came out with anything that was best of breed. I mean, the original DOS, Bill Gates bought and, and resold it to them, right? 
the um, he he basically took he basically has copied every most things hasn't he he's gotten it from other other people have developed and he's he's acquired it. My, my, Microsoft Microsoft um, Excel, Lotus one two three VisiCalc first, and then Lotus one two one Lotus one two three owned the market for spreadsheets. They owned the market. They were the biggest, the best. And when Excel came out, Excel one Excel was garbage. It was absolutely utter garbage. And it's, but but you when you have all this DOS money being royalty money being thrown at your feet, whatever, so they just stick to it, stick to it, stick to it. Um, and uh, and then Excel, whatever the versions were, I don't know, 1.5, then two, and then this, to you know, and then eventually you get to like version, you know, whatever, four, five, and, and then it's like, hey, all right, this is becoming this is these products becoming usable. You know, Windows 1.0 was not even usable, Windows 2.0 was complete garbage, not usable. Windows 3.0 was the first one that was like, all right, this is a tinker toy, but it actually kind of works it's kind of interesting and then 3.1 was the first one was like okay wait a second this is starting to mature now this is yeah and, and then from there it, it grew um and um microsoft word oh my god I, I think until word six it was complete and utter garbage word perfect owned the industry yeah, but they can yeah. just keep they, they didn't end up, they didn't come up with anything they word perfect was the best word processor out in the market loads one two three was the best spreadsheet um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They weren't first with this stuff. They weren't best with the stuff there. And mostly the products were absolute utter garbage, but they just have so much money thrown at them. They didn't need to be successful and they'll just keep improving, keep improving, keep it. And they use the dollars for marketing might and out marketed everybody and eventually took over the market. And then, and then, you know, where perfect goes away, Lotus one, two, three goes away because they don't have the cash cow of they, they're a one product Lotus one, two, three, right. one, two, three. You know, they keep yeah. and stuff, but I mean, it's, but like, you know, word perfect was word perfect Corp. They had word perfect. That's what they got. You know, um, Microsoft had this royalty money, just, just, they, they can't lose. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and the, um, so eventually these corporations have just, eventually they grow, they grow, they grow and they take over. So you're gonna, you're gonna have that consolidation. And what I'm hoping for is that it takes long enough that the little guys have enough of a running start to get their shops up and running, make some money, do their thing. And then maybe eventually they'll sell out to the, there's going to be consolidation and they're going to come for along sure. and they're going to buy them out. It's happening in the, in the hydro store market. You see like grow generations coming around, they're buying all the little mom and pop hydro stores, you know? So hopefully those guys launched their stores, made some money and then got to sell the grow generation and get to sell out and cash out and make some bucks. Um, and I'm hoping the dispensaries will make a good, you know, these little guys can make some money, make some good cash, do their thing. And then maybe eventually they'll sell out and become part of the chain, but you know, uh, they'll be the next, you know, cure relief or whatever, you know, yeah. or whatever, um, true leave and all those guys. Um, and, uh, but, uh, it's going to come, it, it will, unfortunately, um, consolidation is going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a natural evolution of any market, uh, at, you know, uh, maturation for sure. Well, I know we're we're kind of approaching our time here today, so I've I've kept you for a pretty good clip here this morning. I, I greatly appreciate it. Before we before we wrap up, um, please share with uh, share with everybody where they can find more information about the armoire. And by the way, like from somebody who again who has grown and piecemealed things together years ago to do a closet grow that spilled out into an extra bedroom. Um, this, this is like the nicest, like self-contained grow, um, that I've just about ever seen for a home. I'll give you the quick peek as we wrap up here. This is the inside. So it just looks like a cabinet on the outside. It's totally discreet. 
Um, I have people come into my house all the time. If I don't know how they feel about cannabis, I don't say a word. They have no idea that, what this is. Um, yeah. look, that's why we call it the armoire because it looks like an old armoire. But inside, we've got the uh, big external fans. We've got the carbon scrubbers. So there's no smell. We've got the uh, digital um, um, hygrometer, uh, uh, humidity, temperature readouts. Uh, it, it's fan control. You control the fan speeds up and down. Um, we've got our own proprietary light. So it comes with the light at the internal fans and see, I just got a bucket of dirt. It looks like right now, but just slightly, I can see if you look really close, you can just see the sprout is just starting to pop up through the dirt now. So that's <laughs> nice, been about nice. two, three days. I, I germinate right in the pot. Um, that's usually what we recommend. And, um, but like I said, you close it up and whoop, it's just the armoire, you know, and yeah. then I'll show you what I got going on over in this one. This one's at about, you know, maybe three or four weeks. Um, and I got a nice, nice. little, uh, nice. That, that's a magic melon. So, and now the magic melon, I have basically, I, I spent about 15 seconds a day, just dumping water into it. Right. I, I water it once a day. Mm -hmm. And a few days ago, um, when I hit three weeks, like around 21, 22 days, I did LST low stress training. So I took the plan out of the box and just stuck in there. I spent about 15 minutes and put them in there, bend the, you know, open up the plant and, and uh, tie it down and stuff to let more light in, let new tops and all that stuff. You get bigger yields. So I spent about 15 minutes doing uh, low stress training and then back to just my 15 second regimen of the, you know, pour my water in and call today, go to work. Any new, any nutrients or anything do you mix with your water or does that have a separate uh, feed system in, in the box? Uh, that's all part of our protocol and some of our ah, secret sauce and all okay, that. Stuff. Okay. But, but for the end, con the end customer, you don't, you don't, you don't fuck with nutrients. We get that sometimes. Like, what do I need to buy from them? Nothing. Yeah. That's usually what, 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 you know, causes people a lot of problems. Cause like you said, they'll not give enough. They'll overdo it and burn their plants. So burn the plants. Yeah. That is, that is, that is awesome that that's a built into the system. So, so you don't have to worry about any of that. You don't have to worry about nutrients. It's literally water it once a day. And then, like I said, I get, um, you know, Boom. I got, uh, I got six of these. Usually I get one when it's all trimmed and dried, one ounce in a big quart size jar. Um, and I got, uh, I actually, mine went to six. It was a little fluffy and I, I spread it out a little bit. I measured it all out, but I got six of those full jars out of that one. Nice. Nice. Well, thanks again for, for, for chatting with me. Um, I, I guess for information, people should just go to greengoddesssupply.com. Yep. www.greengoddesssupply.com. There's three S's in a row because you got two S's for goddess and then another one for supply. So it looks a little weird when you type it in and out, but yeah, you have three S's in a row. Uh, but yeah, go to greengoddesssupply.com. You can see all of the uh, accessories, the products, the sifter boxes and the bongs and the pipes and dabbers and quartz, you know, quartz nails, everything. Um, and then, of course, there's a whole section just for the armoire all about it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Now, go ahead. I said, and they're in stock and shipping now. <laughs> awesome. No shipping problems with those for sure. Well, thanks again for chatting with me. Um, I really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. And uh, yeah, for anybody that's interested, man, help help us uh, spread this home grow movement. Uh, it's it's something that that needs to that needs to be done. It's it's our guy. It's our. I kind of look at it like it's our. It's a God given right if you believe in that sort of thing, <laughs> sort of thing. Or maybe that's just a term that that can be used. But I do sort of feel like you know it's 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 your right. You know if if you want to grow a plant for your in your backyard for just you 
you're not harming anybody, man. Just let, let them do their thing. Exactly. We've got to protect home grow. And, uh, and like I said, we've gotten really passionate about this, like the whole company, our whole focus now, you know, and we've been doing this now seven years. So the evolution where we did, you know, as I told you, we tripped into it accidentally. Um, but then once we like, well, wait a second, what? And we started looking at it, analyzing and got deeper, deeper, deeper. And we grew this really deep passion uh, for, especially once we brought out the armoire, it's all patented. We're winning awards on this thing now and, and everything else. And, um, and um, it's, uh, it just works, you know, it just works. And uh, we've got uh, five, we're pushing 600 customers now, you know, growing in this thing and growing through many multiple cycles and all that stuff. And got a whole Facebook group for our customers. We're all posting pictures of their plants and talking got about 400 people just in the Facebook group um, that are actual um, our owners and, and growing and all that and building the community and everything. Um, and so we are just all in on home grow, you know, we are, it's, it's our, our whole, like our mission as a company is empowering every everybody and anybody to grow their own at home quickly, easily, discreetly, and inexpensively. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Eric. It's been awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Eric. A pleasure. Pleasure.